This morning you received a bulletin when you, you came in, and, and you can see that uh, the, the title of the message is Epic Fells. Because I think probably all of us at some time, you know, we've experienced some kind of failure in life. You know, and, and I'm, I, I remember one that I experienced was really kind of more of an embarrassing moment, and, and yet it was pretty much an epic failure. I, 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 was, I was a sophomore in college at Northwest Nazarene University. It was 1982, and I, I wish I could say it was Point Loma Nazarene University. I love Point Loma. It's just getting down into my bones as I spend time there and meet uh, many of you that attended there. But, but anyhow, I attended Northwest Nazarene College before it was changed to university. It was 1982, and it was homecoming weekend. Homecoming weekend, and uh, each year during homecoming, we had a theme, and the theme generally was a 50s theme. And so we dressed up like the 50s, and, you know, the guys would slick their hair back and put on T-shirts and roll the sleeves up and wear jeans. And then and then the gals, they would make poodle skirts or buy poodle skirts, and they wear the poodle skirts. And, and then after the big game on Friday night, after the big game, we'd have a talent competition that far goes beyond any talent competition you can imagine. I mean, it was a grand time. The entire student body showed up for it. It was called Senior Slick. And I was a sophomore there at the college. And I decided this time that I was going to be a part of that that, that talent competition. And in fact, uh, you know, I was geared up. I was, uh, I had the, you know, I had the look. I had my hair slicked back. In fact, I had a jean jacket that I tore the sleeves off. Okay, get the image now. I tore the sleeves off and I had a fake tattoo put on my arm here. It looked like a broken heart. And, and in fact, I had, we had some girlfriends make some hearts about this big that put on the back of our jean jackets. I had about three other friends that also had jean jackets. They tore the arms off and, and our girlfriends, you know, sewed the broken heart on the back of our, our jean jackets and we called ourselves the broken hearts. I mean, we're just kind of going with it, having fun. And so I decided to be a part of the talent competition and and uh, back then I sang a little bit of Elvis Presley. I mean, that might shock you a little bit. And so I, I sang a little bit of Elvis Presley and it's my turn to come up and I came on stage and I said, well, well, since my baby left me, I found a new place to dwell. It's down at the end of Lonely Street at this Heartbreak Hotel. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Give those guys a hand. That's right. Amen. Woo. Well, anyhow, I did that very thing, and uh, I didn't have this band with me, but I had another band with me, and, and I had a hold of the microphone and the mic stand, really, a mic and a mic stand. And when I said, well, since my baby left me, I found a new place to dwell. And I and right when I got to the end of the sentence there of that first phrase there, uh, you know, down at the Lonely Street, I went down into the splits. OK, I could do the splits back then. If I did it now, I would be going to the hospital. So I did the splits. I dropped in the splits. I had some tight you know, black slacks on and I dropped in the splits. And I'm thinking, man, I'm tearing this thing up. They're loving me. I mean, their hands are going up in the air. But as I was watching there in my splits. As I'm watching, their hands are going up, but they're going up like this. And then the first row does that. And the second row goes like this. And the next row, they put their hands up like this. And I realize that I have split my pants from belt loop to belt loop. I'm talking about whitey tidy city, okay? I mean, I was ashamed, I was embarrassed, and by that time, the big hook, they had a big long hook, and the big hook came out and pulled me off the stage, because it was not, you know, conducive to a Christian Nazarene college. And so they pulled me off stage, and I changed my pants, I was so embarrassed, and put my uh, button fly 501 jeans back on, and, and I was just, I was embarrassed. 
I mean, talk about an epic fail, right? And uh, some of the, my buddies got around me and some of the, the college students that were producing the thing, they, they encouraged me, said, Tony, you got to go back out there. You got to finish the song. And so now in my jeans and my, my, uh, you know, Levi jacket with the sleeves missing, my fake tattoo, I go out there and, well, since my baby, and I finished the song and went back through it. I mean, it was an epic fail. I, I, I never, I, it took, I don't know how many years it took to live that down. I would meet people 10, 15 years later, and the first thing they'd talk about was me splitting my pants at Senior Slick. It was embarrassing. And, you know, I, as I, you know, got into life and, you know, adulthood began to sink in, and I began to experience some other things, some, some other failures. I realize that there are things that happen to us in life, failures, what we perceive as failure, that happen to us in life that is much harder to get over than just being embarrassed really bad. Because, you know, it's hard and failure is a part of life. And it does not matter how often or how common that kind of failure happens in other people's life. And maybe it, it's about our children or maybe we're, we have a bad relationship and we've gone through a divorce. Or, or maybe it's finances or maybe it's a degree that we've kind of dropped out of. And, and, and whatever it is, however we interpret our failure, I know sometimes, I mean, it is absolutely devastating. Because it's not that, that you know, it's bad when it happens to somebody else. But when it happens to us, it devastates. Failure is a reality in life and we look at the scripture and we realize that that, you know, we're, we're not by ourselves. In fact, that's the good news. I think we we gathered this morning because we want to hear some good news. And the good news is, is that when it comes to failure, we are not alone. We are not by ourselves. We have some pretty good company because we see there there are stories in the Bible that that give us examples of people that experience failure But you see, God did not give up on them. Now, I understand, you know, we like the victor concept. We love the idea that we have victory in Jesus and we love singing the song victory in Jesus. And and we, we promote that idea. In fact, it goes so far as promoting the idea of health and wealth theology or or, or maybe we, we are just kind of stuck in the rut of trying to always sound like, you know, it's all about success or, or being spiritual means that we're successful. But the problem with that is the biblical narrative is chock full of failures. In fact, most biblical stories are not shining examples of self-improvement or Hollywood-like redemption. No, no, Scripture shows us losing losers, shows us sinning sinners, it shows us people that are screwing up and they're needing help in a very big way and their lives are messed up. And the best part about it, I love this part about it, that's in the midst of all of this bad stuff that is happening and all of these failures in people's lives, that God is right in the midst of all of it. And I don't know what you're going through right now or what you're being, you know, chased by or maybe, you know, what you feel like is maybe a failure that you've had or maybe a failure is happening in your life right now. But I know this, that God loves you and that God is in the midst of that. He's in the middle of that. And it's very likely that God is going to work through what it is that you're perceiving as failure in your life. In fact, I I, I think of four you know, scriptural scenarios, four characters in the Bible, or really, I think it's five characters in the Bible that really kind of are stories of, of failure, epic fails, but, but we know that God worked through them. In fact, I think of Joseph and Mary right off the bat. I mean, if you were to think about Joseph and Mary in these modern terms of today, here's this young girl, she's pregnant before she's married. 
And then, you know, you know, it, the, the spirit comes down, you know, the spirit comes down and, and she's pregnant by the spirit. It sounds more like a supermarket tabloid because the spirit comes down and now she's pregnant. And you can imagine Joseph trying to explain to his family and friends what was happening, you know, in a way that didn't make him sound like he was a freak or something. And then the baby's born, and that creates all other kinds of problems in regards to explaining what is happening. And then we go to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and it describes them fleeing, and they become immigrants without papers. Huh. They become immigrants without papers on the run. Yet imagine these are the parents of the God Almighty. And from today's terms, you could say, hey, that was an epic failure. But God was working. We can't help but imagine when we talk about epic fells, you know, thinking about David, King David, because, you know, yes, he was chosen, anointed a man after God's own heart. There's no question about that. But yet his life was surrounded by controversy. And we know that David sinks deep into sin. He has an epic failure because what happens is he's tempted to commit adultery. And he does with Bathsheba. And then later on, because of his sin and that adultery, trying to hide the fact that now Bathsheba is pregnant, he sends Uriah to his death. And so what David, he gets in this downward spiral of sin and problems in his life because he's out of the will of God, being disobedient to God. Talk about an epic failure in Scripture. And then we have to talk about Simon Peter. How how can we leave him out? In fact, I've brought him up two or three times already in my sermons this year. But Simon Peter, I mean, you imagine or you remember in the oldest account of Jesus' life, the book of Mark, Jesus is talking about as he's going to the cross or getting ready to go to the cross. He's saying that people are going to abandon me and they're going to walk away from me. And Peter's frustrated by that. And he says, no way, Lord, I'll never abandon you. I will never die, you know, uh, deny you. I will die for you. And man, it doesn't even take a chapter. And what happens? The rooster crows and he denies Christ. He denies it ever knows him. I mean, what an epic failure that we see in his life. As his relationship with Jesus kind of goes south. And then we have to think about and recognize, you know, God's people, specifically the Israelites, because their failures are all over the place. They're worshiping the golden calf, forcing God to give them kings. They're being overrun by empires, exiled, enslaved. And then again, you know, uh, overrun by empires, exiled, enslaved. I mean, there's failure after failure after failure. I guess what I'm saying, it seems that failure is the wheelhouse of humanity. Do you agree with that this morning? It seems that that so often is is what happens is we 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 fail and the enemy recognizes this. He jumps right on that and then he begins to work his web of deceit and lies in our life. In fact, in John chapter eight, around verse 40, 42, it tells us that Satan is a liar, has always been a liar and he will lie to you and he'll take that failure in your life and he'll begin to spin his web in your heart and he will tell you one lie after another to pull you down so that you cannot rise up and be the Christian that God has called you to be. So what I want to do this morning is look at the problem. Here's how I want to frame this. I want to look at the problem and then the positive. And the first is, if you're filling the blanks, the problem with focusing on our failures. The problem with focusing on our failures. And, and first off, right out of the gate, the problem with focusing on our failures is that's where worry begins to, you know, take seed or take root in our life. In fact, the enemy loves that. 
I mean, if the enemy could, you know, do anything, the one thing he would really want to do is, is cause you to worry. In fact, I, I printed it this way. I typed it this way. That worry is the number one tool that Satan uses to derail you, Christian. I mean, if he can get you to worry, he undermines your faith. If he can get you to worry, he undermines your focus. If he can get you to worry, he undermines your peace and he steals your joy. I, I, I want to say it like this. Worry, worry is like a worry stone. I, I was thinking as I was processing through my message this morning, that that is really what worry is like. Worry is like a worry stone. You've seen a worry stone and you hold it and kind of rub it for whatever different reason. You see, it gets you nowhere. I'm sorry if that bursts your bubble in regards to the worry stone idea, but, but worry is just like the worry stone. It gets you nowhere. You see, the enemy, Satan deals in the what ifs. If he can get you to say what if, or what if this happens to me, or if this comes my way, what if tomorrow this, this begins to happen? You see, that's the enemy. God does not think and deal in the what ifs. God builds on the what is. What is his kingdom? What is he doing in your life? How has he created you? What is this blessing for you? That's how God works. In fact, we find in Scripture, and this is our text today, we find God's direction here and encouragement in Philippians chapter 4, looking at verse 6 and 7. Let's turn there together this morning, or you can follow along on the screen there with me. So we go to Philippians chapter 4, looking at verse 6 and 7, and it begins this way. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, first off, I need to say this is pretty obvious. This does not sound like worry. This is the instruction he gives us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, there's something about a spirit of thanksgiving. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I if I, you know, am disciplined enough and I think about it when I wake up and I start with an attitude of thanksgiving, it affects and permeates The rest of my day. There's something about the thankful spirit. You ever been around somebody, Molly, that has a thankful spirit? And when they have a spirit of thanksgiving, it's like the sun is shining brighter. It's like, you know, people are smiling. You notice their smiles because they have a spirit of thanksgiving. And the spirit of thanksgiving, it makes all the difference. He says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the instruction that he gives us. Then we go to John chapter 14. Let's go there. Go to John chapter 14, verse 27. And he frames it like this. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. This is what Jesus does for us. Now think about it logically for just a moment here. When you think about the idea of peace, you know, accompanied with worry, I cannot imagine peace and worry occupying the same space. I can't imagine that I have this peace and I have real true peace because I have a relationship with Jesus. And while I have peace, I'm going to worry about this over here. I can't imagine that doing that or I am so engulfed in worry and so involved in worry. And yet in the midst of the worry, oh, I have peace. It's a reality. You cannot have both peace and worry. But it says here, it teaches us that when we have relationship with Jesus Christ, we will not worry. We will have peace that passes human understanding. He says, I do not give to you as the world gives. This is what the passage reads. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, notice the last part of the verse here is about fear. 
And that's what happens when we internalize our worry and it reaches deep into the core of our being and it begins to affect the way that we think about ourselves. When we are living in our worry, this begins to affect our internal being and in our being, in our mind, then we begin to have this thing that blossoms and is birthed in us, which is this idea of fear. That's what this passage is alluding to here. And then that kind of leads us to another problem which is focusing uh, on our failures will affect our self-evaluation and our self-evaluation gets skewed. Why? Now we go back to the beginning because of worry. And if we live in our worry and it's rooted in us, then self-evaluation gets skewed. You see, the enemy wants you to put a false value on yourself. Did you know that? The enemy wants you to have a false evaluation of yourself. He knows that if he can get you discouraged enough, depressed enough, and disheartened enough to not believe in yourself. To judge all your future potential based on your past performance. Now, I took some time to construct this idea or this sentence because I really think this is a point. That if you can get you to, to judge all of your, 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 your future potential on your past, you know, life, then your faith will dry up like a rose petal on a rock in the middle of a desert. Your faith will shrivel. And it will be no more if you spend your time in the spirit of worry. You see, the enemy knows that. And then what follows then is spiritual blindness. I mean, think about it again. Logically, Jesus could have misinterpreted the cross. Jesus could have in his humanity felt impotent and and lacking. I mean, hey, this thing, it's not working. I'm getting crucified. They're killing me. You can imagine in his humanity, maybe possibly there's that temptation In fact, the followers could have seen his crucifixion only as failure because the empire was still the same. Social injustices were still rampant and present. And in fact, some and many did misinterpret the crucifixion. And they misinterpreted the crucifixion because they had blinders on. They had spiritual blindness. And in their spiritual blindness, you see, all they could see is the negativity and all the negative things. And there is a place for analysis. And I understand being analytical and using analysis can be good and we can learn from it. But if it overwhelms us and all we are is analyzing and all we are is analytical, then ladies and gentlemen, spiritual blinders will become the norm. You see, it will squelch And it will eliminate our faith that God has given us. And our faith is not our own. It is a gift that God has given us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you are saved by faith. This is not of yourself. This faith is not of yourself. Faith is something that God bestows upon us. Faith is a gift that God gives us. And we enjoy the gift of faith in living out our faith and our relationship and our love with Jesus Christ. And so, you see, the enemy does not want you to know that. The enemy does not want you to see that. He wants you to have these spiritual blinders on so that you'll remain lost and you will live in your worry. And I don't know about you. I don't know where you're at or what kind of personality you have. But I think some people worry more than others. I've met and I've known some and I'm not saying that I do not worry. I do worry some. I'm probably a worrier. And the Holy Spirit is just kind of speaking to me that, you know, it's hard for the Lord to work. If I'm living there, if I'm living in my in the realm of my worry. And so the Lord is kind of freeing me of that and let me see that, you know, that is not a fruitful place place to be. And I don't know who the Lord 
is speaking to or what he's wanting to say to you. But I believe it would be beneficial if we would then look at now the positive way to respond to failure. So so here there were some of the, the negatives, but now the positive way to respond to failure, which will bring us back to these characters that I mentioned in Scripture in the very beginning. But let me say this first. Let me begin this way. Someone said that effective people miss a lot because they try a lot. I like that quote. Effective people miss a lot because they try a lot. It's like that statement I I, I read on the bottom of a poster. It said that you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And the poster was a picture of basketball at center court just sitting on the floor. No people on the poster. Just the basketball, the court, and the backboard and the hoop. You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. In fact, experts say that 60 to 70 percent of our efforts at change or business or starting a church or or, you know, trying to complete a degree or whatever it is, that 60 to 70 percent of our efforts fail. So, so what is the positive way you know, to respond. I mean, how do we how do we positively respond when we come to our passage? We come back to those characters in Scripture that we could have easily interpreted, or they could have easily interpreted as epic fails. And we learn something from those biblical characters. They show us something in the Word. We see something and learn something that that gives us a proper response, a good response, in regards to what it is that feels like failure or feels like we failed at something. And they show us what the right response is, at least in the spiritual realm. And and what that is, it's not that profound. It's very simple. Here it is. Here's how they responded. Here is the answer. Do not give up. (laughs) There's no question that David had messed up. And there's no question that he was in a spiraling downfall of sin. And he is making one mistake after another. But one thing that David did not do, his goal was to chase after God and to see the face of God. In fact, in Psalm chapter 27, verse 8, where his heart is spoken to, saying, see God's face, his response, he writes this out, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Your face, God, I will seek. You see, do not give up. Do not give up. Believer, whatever you're going through, do not give up. Because God will be with you. He will lift you and he will enable you. Do not give up. And then we remember Peter, he became the rock that Jesus predicted him to be because he did not dwell on his past mistakes. He, he did not live in those mistakes and that denial of Christ, but he moved on and God worked through him. You see, folks, believer, do not give up. Do not give up. And then we remember Joseph and Mary and they stayed the course. They stayed the course again. They were on the run as immigrants without papers running for their lives. But as we read the story of Jesus, as he grew, became a young man, a boy and a young man. And and then he came of age and he began to recruit his disciples and ministry began to happen. The supernatural occurred and the spirit of God came down on him and through him as he was the manifestation of God himself. It was a beautiful plan of God that Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross for you and me and then was resurrected from the dead. That was God's beautiful plan. And just as God unfolded his plan that was beautiful in the life of Jesus. His plan for your life is beautiful too. Here is the promise. When we say do not give up, is that God, he will not give up on you. I want to say that this morning, that God, he will not give up on you. He he will not turn his back on you. 
God loves you this morning. He wants you to be encouraged. He wants to lift you, whatever it is that you're going through and whatever failure that maybe has happened in your life. Do not deny the fact that God will not give up on you. I was standing here at the front between services and I had this person, this individual come up to me and they were just weeping. I mean, tears flowing. And they had just received some really bad news. And it's going to radically change their lives. And they said, Pastor, I needed to hear this today because I feel like such a failure. And I don't know what you're going through right now. And I believe that the Lord put this on my heart because somebody needs to hear this, that that God has not given up on you. God's not going to give up on you. He loves you and he wants to come behind you. and He wants to lift you this morning. Do not give up. I think was it Winston Churchill when he spoke to his people. He said, never quit, never quit, never quit, never quit. Do not give up because God has a beautiful plan for your life. He wants to do something in you. And I believe that with all my heart. We're going to have the worship team come and they're going to lead us. But let us pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, for the beauty of your plan that brought us, Lord, the promise of salvation in your son, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we read about that. We read your story. We read your life, about your life, Lord, in the flesh and how you lived. And you gave us this perfect example for your church, for this community. And, Lord, we thank you for that that beautiful example, that life. And, Lord, it's possible that there's somebody here today, right now, that, Lord, this message is for them. You're speaking to their heart right now because they have been discouraged Or maybe they've felt like a failure because of something that's happened to them in the past. And they've just been hanging on to that. Well, Father in heaven, I pray that you would lift that spirit and they would not give up. To know that, Lord, that you have not given up on them. You have not not forsaken them. So, God, we just come to you today. We worship you. We thank you, God, for being our God and just speaking to our heart right now. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the reality that you are everything that we need. And maybe it's an aha moment for somebody. They've been so wrapped up and engulfed in the details of life that can be sometimes really difficult and dark. But this reminder is that you have not given up on us. That you are a resource. You're everything. And so, Father, I pray that your arms would just wrap around that one right now, that individual that needs to feel your holy presence and that you draw them to them yourself. Know that you haven't given up on them. So, Lord, we worship you today. We worship you, God. We ask all these things. Christ.